Welcome to the Mindset Mama Bears podcast. I'm your host, Allie Cleveland, a mama bear who believes that when we get our mindset right, we tap into a limitless form of transformational energy. Each week, I'll share an honest discussion with a friend who has a message to share about their relationship with mindset. We'll focus on the strategies they employed to overcome their unique challenges in life. My mission with this podcast is that their messages will give you hope for your own future, inspire you to make your own positive mindset changes, and shine some light on the path as you find your own way forward to living your best life. Thanks for being here, and let's get started. Well, welcome, humans. It is a beautiful day, and I am here with Gerald Gangaram, and we are going to have a conversation about mindset and about finding your way forward in life using the reflections that you have uh, in your own life about how to how to do that and Gerald has accomplished an amazing amount in a short time and I'm going to let him introduce himself and talk about where he's been and where he's at and maybe a little bit about where he's going and we'll definitely go into that more later. Yeah thanks for having me Ali I really appreciate being here Um, this is exciting for me and I think the main thing to know about me is kind of what like my goal is, my mission, right? So I strive to share the servant leader ethos that I honed from the streets of New York City to the skies of Afghanistan. Sharing my life's lessons is my second service after an exciting military career. As an Apache helicopter pilot, I finished my time in the Army as a major and I have combat experience from Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. So I right now I'm a keynote speaker, armored stories from combat, childhood, my soldiers, cockpit stories, diversity, inclusion stories. Really, it's a lot of lessons that I use to captivate, ignite audiences. And I try and precisely target these messages to create dynamic conversations lasting well past any Q&A. In my background, I grew up in New York City, um, went to public school and eventually got into West Point. And became an attack helicopter pilot. I think I've mentioned that three times because I'm really <laughs> proud of the Apache and that service that I've had. And uh, yeah, so uh, happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your military experience? Of course. So I went into the Army as a Apache helicopter pilot, really as an aviation officer from West Point. I then became an Apache helicopter pilot out of flight school. Uh, My first assignment was at Fort Carson as a platoon leader. I did that for a year, and then I became a human resources officer or adjutant, as they're called in the military. And I did that for a year before going to Afghanistan as an executive officer. In Afghanistan, my mission was to take care of aerial security for the southern portion of the country near the Pakistan border. I believe it was the Zabul province. And there with the company of aircraft that we had, we flew missions 24-7. It was a very uh, rewarding time to be doing the mission that I had trained so long to do. Following that, I was uh, appointed to be a commander of the largest attack company in the world, the Firebirds. So I took on the call sign and moniker of Firebird 06. And I did that for two years. It was a very rewarding command. Had a 136 soldiers, civilians, and contractors under my command, and caring for them and, of course, their families was probably the highlight of my military career. I did a lot of 
work um, and kinetic assignments and missions in Afghanistan. But yeah. that command time I had was really rewarding with those families and the difference that I, that I made. I was then picked up to be an Army strategist, and that required me to get a master's degree. So I went to Georgetown and got my MBA there, and then I was appointed to the Pentagon. Wow, Georgetown's a fantastic place to get a master's degree from. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. How long did that take you? It took two years. I went there in uh, 2015 to 17. Yeah. Did you find anything about that transition between the service in the military and Georgetown uh, struggle? Oh, I, I thought it was awesome. I oh. I thought it was a vacation almost for <laughs> various reasons. I went from commanding 136 people in a, and running a company that was on call. We, we were there 22 hours a day. And all of a sudden, I was in charge of no one but myself. Yeah. So for the first year, especially, I was like, wait, my job is to go and get a master's. So I, I, I was taking not just my business school classes, but I was overloading on classes. I was at the law school, the public policy school. I was like, I'll try and get two degrees out of this if I can. <laughs> um, and it was it was very rewarding to be in that environment. I actually thought it was going to be more of a vacation than it turned out to be because I was like, oh, I don't have to do anyone for myself. But that leader in me kept creeping out in different ways. And I found myself mentoring um, some of my other peers that were there as they yep. It's weird. My entire time in the military, I was the youngest person. So even though I was commanding all these people, all of them were like 10 years older than me in some cases was the average. Especially oh, in my command. But now there in, in business school, I was actually one of the older ones because I was going to business school with 10 years of experience behind me. Some of them were five or six. Right. And that was very dynamic. So a lot of them saw like recognized some of that leadership and the mentorship that I had. And I, I got to practice that a little more. And that was rewarding in, in different ways. And I still stay in contact with a lot of uh, those find men and women there. And it's, it's, it was a blast kind of getting to see that I didn't just have to only stay a leader whenever I was wearing the uniform. It was just kind of baked into me at that point. That's a fantastic attitude. I wanted to just share a really quick story. I, when I left high school, I went to be a ski instructor. Well, I went to college for a semester and that really didn't work out. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went to be a ski instructor and I did that and it was really fun. And then the next year I went back and nobody else came back. And so I was put in charge at 19 years old of 12 people who were serving all the skiers in that upper Michigan. And and it is a um, it's trial by fire, but it it you you rise up and, and take oh, it on. Out. You yeah. never know what's gonna come your way when you show up, right? Showing yeah. is one of the most important things, being present. I have tons of situations where that was important and and it, it really just comes down to, and it, it, you know, it's cliche, but the right place and right time. Yeah. It's it's right place, right time, and then the decision to act in those mm. moments. It's, it's, a very, it's a very powerful thing when you're there. So kudos oh. to you for sticking with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to, I'm so excited to hear the things you're saying, because I think there are so many people in the world right now who need this message. And, and those that find us, um, and find this conversation. I'm getting a little goosebumps, actually. It's great. great. So um, so let's jump into uh, my first question, which is really to talk about, have you talk about some of the positive things that are going on in your life right now, and maybe um, transition out of that into a couple of things that are struggles for you right now? Because we, as much as we all want to portray that and 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 genuinely things are good in our lives and it's uh, important to focus on them we're always having struggles whether it's internal or external so 
What are, let's start with a couple of really positive things that are happening in your life right now. Great. Some really positive things. I'm doing this. Um, this is a joy to me. I get to zoom around the world, like doing a bunch of things with talking to people, reaching out to people, speaking publicly about matters that are important to me, leadership lessons, because I believe we all deserve better leaders. And I get to communicate and remind people how extraordinary they are and how extraordinary the people around them are. They just maybe aren't even realizing it. So it's a very uplifting Mm. thing that I get to do. It's like I said, I really see it as that second service because it's it's almost a, a calling that's being drawn to me to continue to let people know that this is there, there's there's things better than what's going on. Um, I also have a new puppy, so I got a puppy in I think it's oh man, it's been like five months now. A little golden uh, retriever. She's downstairs now, being uh, way off camera. Um, but we've been going through training, and she's uh, she's reminding me that not to take life too seriously. Yeah, uh, I, I had a call the other time and I was being maybe too serious with it and stern. And in the background, she's chewing up one of my slippers and like, you know, dad, I know you're talking about this, but I want to let you know that I don't like your slippers anymore and you need to buy some new ones. So it's just about all, all about that perspective. Right. And, and dogs are probably great at again. She does that. And I, I get upset at her and she's just wagging her tail looking at me. And it's like this pair of slippers. Yeah. You know, what, what am I getting upset at? So it's. I really, I love that perspective that I'm gaining from that. Oh, well, actually, when I was teaching school, ski school, I had a golden retriever uh, named Jonathan. And, and boy, he taught me a lot of lessons. And, and they're just, the golden retrievers especially are so full of joy. And what a great reminder whenever we get down a little bit to just go play, have some fun with life. It's such a gift. Everything's a game. A cardboard box is all of a sudden the best thing that you can do. Absolutely. Well, what are what are a couple of things maybe that are more of an internal or external struggle right now for you? Great question, Allie. And you know, it, it's a, I do agree that we need to talk about this stuff because it's it's not always sunshine and rainbows all the time. It's mm-hmm. one of those things that I, I'm very fortunate that right now I can think about a lot of positives. Mm-hmm. But if you had asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would have given you nothing but negatives because of my perspective. Everything was just when I was, especially as I transitioned out of the military, mm-hmm. this happened after I was involved in an accident. And, and this accident was, I was just going down at a significant speed. All of a sudden an impact happens. I'm on the floor my, I know there's blood coming from my face. I can't really move a lot. I'm, I'm expecting some type of personnel there. I, I see police sirens and stuff as I'm going in and out of consciousness. And I'm, I, I get to the point where I'm getting wheeled down um, a hallway and I'm seeing these lights above me. And I know, okay, I'm in a hospital. And I'm thinking, where's, where's my wingman at? Like, how, how bad was this crash? And as I come consciousness when they're doing the last of my stitches, because I'd broken my skull, I had, oh. I had lacerations across my face, my, my eyebrows, I everything. And, and as I'm trying to figure out where my wingman was, I realized I'm not in Afghanistan. This happened to me yeah. when I was in Washington, DC, while I was at Georgetown. Yeah. And I got into a bicycle accident with huh. a car, not in a helicopter, but I was just so dazed out of this. And, and when that happened, and as I was, I, I was going through all this, it was very, 
I, I, I questioned it a lot because of the, the way that the injury had, had impacted me. And then when I was uh, discharged from the military uh, as a result of this, I had to rethink what it meant to be a leader and what, it, what my identity was. Mm-hmm. And that took not, not a little while. That took years. And those yeah. were probably the hardest years of my life. And I thought my life was, had some bad points before. And this kind of put, I, but all of a sudden I went from the height of my career to all of a sudden in a very dark place personally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it took even my soldiers coming by or calling and whether it was visits or even a video thing, it was them looking at me and saying, sir, you look horrible. And sir, you know what you, what, what happened to you? You can survive being in an Apache in Afghanistan against the Taliban and you couldn't survive being on a bicycle in DC against the police officer, like what, what's going on? Like, and, you know, it's one of those things. They're like, yeah, every one of your stories is always, you should see the other guy. Well, this one was, I can't really say you should see the car. I think it drove off, right? My head versus a car or anything isn't going to really win. But, right. it, and that's the thing. That low point though, put me in a position where I'm now here. It yeah. put me in a position where I've been able to connect with so many more other people. And those struggles, it's not that I, I don't have any now, but mm-hmm. they're so minuscule to me compared to what I have gone through in the past that I, I don't feel their weight on me in the same way. So Interesting. I, and, and that's really the perspective I try and keep. Mm-hmm. Well, having that weight off your shoulders, so to speak, seems like a really positive thing, but, but it took you, it took action I mean, the weight just doesn't come off. It's like anybody who's on a weight loss journey knows that it just doesn't come off. There has to be, if you want something to change, you have to change what you're doing. So, oh, and that, that's a great analogy with the weight loss. Like you, like you said, it's not just all of a sudden you flip a switch or even that you decide you're going to lose that weight, right. right? There's a journey you have to go on to do it. Right. And I had to, I had to go through all that and it, like it took years in my, in my case, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that it was something that I had to actively work on. And it's not that, Oh, I said it. And now it's just an uptrend. No, I said it. And then I maybe went down even more. And it was just this whole roller coaster journey. Mm-hmm. I know that for me, I've had um, some grief in my life the last few years. And what I've found is that, you know, I, you know, everybody wants to think, well, you're just taking that grief and kind of pushing it away slowly, but it's really more of a like a lazy Susan that every now and then you yes. run into it and wow, it kind of knocks you for a loop. And and then if you have these positive habits, then it's easier to get out and and it's easier to say, okay, I'm gonna let you get in the backseat. I'm gonna I'm still driving here. Yeah, <laughs> Which is absolutely. another analogy I really like is yeah, absolutely. I'm driving the bus. It's not linear. It's it's a revolving door of emotions. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've had an incredible journey so far. I was wondering if you would be willing to talk about some of your role models uh, in your life and maybe um, in the past and in the present. And and it's a little odd to talk about a role model in the future, but but I think that maybe like someone that you look to maybe work with and um, in the future. So could you, would you be up for that? Yeah, of course. Let's go for it. Uh, all right. All right. Let's start with past that. Okay. So the number one person that jumps out at me is retired First Sergeant Richard Gogarty. Now, obviously, that's someone that was in the military, but this is not one of my soldiers. 
this was a man that, let me tell you this. When I went to, by the time I was first getting into high school, I thought I was going to end up in jail. I thought that my life was just predestined for this. That's just the environment I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I, my zip code when I grew up was 11372. The zip code for Rikers Island is 11370. So we always joked and when we played, even tag or didn't do well in a test that, oh, you might end up in Rikers Island. Like that was that was the line because that's what happened in our, our neighborhood. I grew up in New York City in Queens. Yeah. And a lot of people in my family had gone to jail or died. Like my all of my mom's brothers had either died or gone to jail or even died in jail or something. It was it was mm-hmm. it was a bad mindset for me. And even my biological father was like, you're not gonna amount to anything because your mom didn't even graduate high school. Like you're you're not gonna be mm-hmm. anything. And so I thought I'm gonna end up in jail. And I was so determined to get ready to go to jail, to bulk up. I was like 90 pounds when I got to high school and I was like, I need to bulk up. It wasn't, I need to stay out of jail. It was, I just, I'm going to end up in jail. Let me bulk up for it. And this one mentor, um, I ended up meeting him accidentally when I got enrolled in this JROTC program because my mom just thought these cadets in uniform looked cool in uniform and I should be in one too. And he didn't let me quit. I wanted to quit because it took the place of gym and I needed to bulk up. And I was like, oh, I've seen some TV gym is where kids bulk up in high school. Yeah. But he saw this leadership potential in me and he made me realize that, you know, I could have a different goal of graduating high school and being the first in my family to do that. Mm-hmm. And that became my new goal. It wasn't bulk up for this predestination dumb theory I had in my head. It was, I can mm-hmm. have my own goals. I can listen to other, I can listen to myself instead of all these naysaying external garbage that was being thrown my way yeah and when he when he did that i i i'd always done well in school and i just focused more on on doing that getting that education my mom stressed so much and when it came time for high school i was i hit that goal post and he was like you know yeah high school's done what about college and i told him yo i don't talk to me about college i can't afford to apply to college or application fees and then he told me one school that didn't have an application fee and that was west point so it was the only school i applied to even when he when I came back and I was like, I don't have the money for postage. We had to still some some of your younger viewers might be like, oh, you ma- you email that stuff. It's all electronic. Well, this was still when you had to mail an application. <laughs> and that year it was the hardest school to get into because of September 11th. Oh, yeah. School I applied to and I got in. He gave me the money for postage when I when I tried to push back because oh. he believed in me that much. And he wasn't the only one. There were several in that JROTC program, Master Sergeant Brazil, Sergeant First Class Bats, but Together with them, they were such heavy role models in setting me right. But I specifically remember that even with first sergeant, he didn't stop there. He continued to be that father figure for me in in a lot of ways. And even after he got the day he dropped me off at West Point, the next day he found out he had cancer. He was not given a good prognosis. He was told he had months. He didn't tell me he had cancer. Because he knew I'd leave West Point to go and be with him. Even if I couldn't do anything, he knew that's, Gerald, that's dumb. Yeah, like you're not going to do that. So he knew the best way was to not tell me about it. Yep. And he he didn't tell me for two years that he had cancer. And when he did tell me, he didn't say, oh, by the way, two years ago I had cancer. He just said, oh, by the way, I have cancer now. And I just can't keep it from you anymore because I know you're going to eventually be allowed to leave West Point and come visit and come back home and see me. Yep. He physically looked different because of the chemo he went through. 
Yep. And he didn't tell me that he kept it from me for two years until I was interviewing him for a school project in my MBA program years later. And I was like, hey, what's some advice? He was like, yeah, you don't have to tell people everything. Like, you don't have to give them your burdens. And it, and he, so he's, he continues to be a role model for me in, in that way. And he's been a role model to so many people. All, all of those instructors have for that reason. So that's, that's the number one that comes, comes to mind. If, I, if I'm not going directly with the servant leader mentality that my mom put in, into me in the beginning right. and sacrifice, he's, he's number two right there. Oh, that's, I love that. And I really like the, what you just said at the very end there, um, you don't have to give everybody your burdens. Uh, that is such a gold piece of advice from what sounds like an incredible man. Yes. Is he still around? Yes, he is still with us. He's uh, retired in Pennsylvania now. And he jokes that the shack that he has in his backyard that in the house he owns now is the size of the first house that he had when he first went wow. into the Army. So he's, uh, he's now retired. At, he retired out of the military. He retired out of being a public school teacher in New York City. And he has a nice place in Pennsylvania. Good for him. And good for you to have had that person in your life. When, right? It sounds like right when you need it. And oh, yes, absolutely. Isn't it interesting how the things we need when we ask for them and we put ourselves in those situations come to us? So Yeah, there, there's this commentary right now, I feel that, and, and it's been this way even, even when I was growing up, that if you work really hard, you can just do it. Just keep grinding at it. And it's not always <clears> that way. We don't go through life alone. We, we need other people to be those mentors for yes. us, to be, whether it's in, to sponsor us with things, to just, I didn't even know what West Point was. Right. Like, I, I knew at this point that, oh, maybe I might do the military or be a leader or something, but I didn't know in what. I thought maybe at that point, hey, maybe in the fast food industry, I'm going to be a manager one day or sure. Or something else, but I didn't know like some of this larger stuff because I had I had such a narrow scope of what life had to offer at that point, and um, it, it took someone else sometimes, and not sometimes, a lot of time in my life to show me what those other possibilities are. Yeah, yeah. All right. So tell me about somebody that's um, helping you out right now. That's a role model for you in the present. Oh man, there's so many. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky that I can say that as, as I think about this question. It's the, the I, three come to mind right now. A sure. uh, ambassador, Doug Holliday, a senator, William Brock, and his, his wonderful wife as well. And um, and I, I always call him Mr. Williams. <laughs> um, he hates when I say that. <laughs> but he, the, between the three of them, these are people that at the low point where I was sharing the negative things that were happening in my life, these are people that could have easily turned the blind eye and like kept walking. Yep. And instead they, they grabbed me and said, you're not done. You have mm -hmm. so much more to give. And like people need to like you, we need to get you in these other things to even doing what I'm doing now. Several of them, yeah. Me on the path to do this now. And, and that was the remarkable thing is that these were people and people I never even knew I would meet ambassadors, senators, people that have been CEOs and, uh, or in, in charge on the board. Like I'm, I'm this, just this kid from Queens. Like the, the best thing I knew about my neighborhood at that point was coming to America. They're throwing trash out the windows. Hey, I lived around there. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm talking to these people. I'm 
I'm in their homes communicating with them. This is a pipe dream to me. Um, This happens on TV. And, but it was, it wasn't the accolades of all I had done before that. Yeah, that was, that was part of it. They, they recognized what I had done as that, that Apache pilot, as that military officer. But it was also that I was willing to be vulnerable with those, those hard things that they could see the, the genuineness in me where it wasn't just cookie cutter answers and I wasn't trying to impress them. I was just being real and that being real and genuine with people is what can draw them into your circles where you're, and you get to be yourself. So you're not worried about trying to impress someone. You just get to be you. And, and I think, and, and I really, I couldn't be where I am now sitting in front of you if it wasn't for them. I, I, I think about all those different like breadcrumbs and dots that have happened yeah. along the way. And I, I see where each one of them has got me to meet them, but also be in front of you here today. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be there if it wasn't for those three people and so many others. Sure. Sure. And it's, it's tough when, when I put you on the spot and say, well, you know, one person or not, and you don't want to include, you know, exclude anyone, but, but it's, those sound like fantastic connections. And, we talked the other day about that idea of connecting the dots and you can't connect them looking forward, but going backwards, it's helpful to do that. So yes. that's great. And it sounds, those sound like fantastic people who totally believed in you. And I loved what you said about being authentically you and how that just, if you do that, it does attract the people that are sort of operating at the same level or higher and, and so, and, and it actually pulls people up who are fi- trying to find their way to that space too. Mm-hmm. So yes. kudos to you for, for doing that. And I'll just, uh, let's end with one, uh, this part with just one, um, somebody that you aspire to have in your life as a mentor. Um, and this is sort of a moment for you to uh, call on the universe to see if we can bring that person into your life. Yeah, let, let's shoot for the moon. Colin okay. There you go. Powell is, even when I got my MBA, I had to justify getting an MBA as a strategist because a lot of strategists do different things with history or a certain region. I got an MBA. Yeah. And I had to justify that. I had one line on this justification memo. The header and signature blocks were all much bigger. But that one line justification of why I needed an MBA was Colin Powell had one. (laughs) Uh, It it worked, right? You you can't argue with that. This is a man that is... Now, he is looked at as the model, it doesn't matter your political circle, he's looked at as a model leader, such servant leader sacrificed throughout his career, but he always stayed true to himself. And, but if you look at the beginning of his life, it was always a challenge. He was constantly hit with adversity and he could have easily given up at any one point, if not the culmination. Most people can read different biographies and stories about him. And they're like, okay, this is the part where I can see that I just can't do this anymore. And I'm going to do something easier that would still be as successful, but it wasn't him. And that to me is, is a remarkable leader. And I would love to get to know him more than the short ride I had in him with an, in an elevator one time. Huh. Um, oh, you did have a short ride with him in the elevator? I to speak at Georgetown. Some friends knew that I, I always um, wanted to meet him and stuff. And, I, I kind of stalked around by an elevator at a certain point, got on it, got to shake his hand, told him I read his book. I got him to autograph a book for me. 
And uh, again, re- really genuine, genuine guy. Excellent. Well, I totally believe, Gerald, that you will have that relationship in the future. It just, I just think it's going to happen. I think you're going to call it in and, and you're doing all the things that, that put you in a position to add value to a mentor. Um, you know, because yes, we want mentors to add value to us, but, but we have to be, it has to be a two way street. And, yes. um, and so I think that you would be a wonderful person to work with him. And I hope that, uh, I hope and believe that that will happen. Oh, Ali, I, I hope that you are right. Let's let's hope that 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 happens. I'm excited yeah. to hear that. Yeah. One thing that Jim Rohn, Jim Rohn is uh, was Tony Men- Tony Robbins' mentor. He always says, um, "Get it out of your head and put it on paper. Get it out of your head and put it on paper." So write that down at some point that um, I'm going to be working with Colin Powell. Done. All right. Um, so I have this thing that I like to do with a guest that is. I call it taking you to the mountaintop. And and in, in that, what that means is I'm going to give you a chance um, to, in a, in a couple of minutes, I'll let you process this in the background while we're talking a little more, but um, we're going to go to the imaginary mountaintop. And when we get there, all 8 million people in the world are going to be standing there below listening. And you have a couple of minutes, not more than that, just a couple of minutes because there's a lot of people. Well, there's a lot of speakers that day, yeah. um, and, but you get your chance to say whatever it is you want to say concisely and precisely and briefly to everyone in the world. Um, and and I find that um, I won't. We don't have to do it right now because I'll let you work on that uh, in the background. But I, I find it really interesting because, in a sense, right now and through this medium of podcasting, we are doing that. And uh, and so so anyway, that's the that's the mountaintop exercise. All right. Uh, and while you're thinking about that, um, I'll have you. Um, I wanted to talk about this idea. Um, Trent Shelton is a motivational speaker who I really um, appreciate, and not all, everything vibes with me, but a lot of what he talks about vibes with me. And one of his ideas is that if the destination is worth it for you the path won't always be perfect uh, and the struggles that, so if the destination is perfect, the path won't always be perfect. Does that bring, what does that bring up that idea bring up in you? Do you have a little story you might share of a time when your destination was, you were honed in on your destination, but the path really didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. Ooh, everything that got me here. Um, again, just, just life is, is full of those. If I was trying to think of one in particular, oh man, I one time had a soldier's family tell me that our son always wanted, like talked about being like you. So we wanted to meet you to see how our son would turn out. But the destination to get there. I had lost that soldier. And I was escorting his body back to his parents. Mm. His parents requested me to escort him back. Which I, was the, I wasn't even expecting. 
I would have chosen one of my other enlisted. The commander would have chosen someone else, I'm sure, that was closer to him. But he had been writing letters back to his mom and dad and calling them. And at different points, he would talk about me. I was helping him do a West Point application. I was helping him learn land navigation or talking about leadership. Random stuff that had nothing to do with his job as an aircraft mechanic. Yeah. And, but he was talking to them about it and he was telling them how he wanted to be, he was the lowest ranking person in our unit. He was, he was a private and we didn't have very many at that point. So he was really young and he, he was the only one probably younger than I was. (laughs) And he, he would tell them this stuff. They saw that he wanted to, and he was like, I want to go from that to being like Gerald, the highest ranking in this unit. Granted, this unit was only 40 people. Small unit, right? I'm the highest in 40. But that's what he wanted. And so they had requested me. And when I finally got to them and we were talking after a while, I asked them why me? And they said, because he always said he wanted to be like you. And we wanted to see how he would have turned out. Oh. And again, a, a horrible situation. A, a situation of tragedy. But if I take it out of that moment, like you're saying, and I think about just the end result where I realize the the ripple effects of what I had done that I had mistakenly come onto in that moment, which was I didn't know what little thing I said or did could have made such a difference with someone's mentality or mindset. In that case, it was talking about how to navigate with the sun and the terrain and like that those little moments that you take with people can be enough to change their life and mentality and aspirations. And I, I had to be more deliberate going forward with that, but that was definitely one of the, uh, I'm, I'm proud that that yeah. happened, but I, it broke me when it happened as well. Yes. I can totally understand that. And I, what it makes me think about is how, it's my time as a teacher. I've been, a, I was a middle school teacher for seven years and, and how every word matters at times. And it can be those, those, that those two sentences can be what changes or breaks somebody's life. And, um, and so it's a, it's a high standard to hold yourself to, but worthwhile. Um, yeah. And you don't get to see what that is all the time. Like I, I've been lucky that I've seen a couple times where people come back and say, you were my motivation to doing X or Y. Yeah. Great feeling. But for every one of those that you see, there are probably hundreds others that you don't get to see. Strangers right. or, or even like, and, and it's, it's amazing when you really think about what all those ripple effects mean for just, yeah. not just you and your circle of people that you're touching, but even the extent that they're going out from there. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's exponential. Excellent. That's a fantastic answer. And so we're going to imagine now, Gerald, that you have just stepped out of your chopper and your chopper, uh, your your best buddy, let's say, dropped you off at the top of the mountain. And um, and you're here to, to talk to people, because I think what you just said sort of primed the pump for for some emotions that you might have and the things that you might say. And and and, you know, you might get another shot at talking to everyone in the world at the same time, but, but what do you got? What's, what's your message that, that you want to share? Yeah. You know, 
some people call me a hero for the combat that I've done and the things I've done in combat. But there are heroes around us constantly doing the smallest things. I had a friend one time that she was getting on the bus and this person had to, couldn't find their Metro card or something. And she just swipes hers to let theirs through. That's right in front of him. It's not like she went around the line or anything. She just put it right in, let him go. And that's it. This guy didn't need the money or anything. It was just that he was struggling at that point and she was just helping him get through. Some people in that position will, you have to think how that day is starting. If they're not, if they're doing this and trying to find where things are, and then that they're trying to find change or it starts their day in such a negative note. And they're mm-hmm. thinking on the bus this way. Now they're going to work and they're still thinking about, oh, that happened. Oh, wait, now do I have to find it before I get home? Right. She, she instantly defused that situation. A couple days later, she sees that same guy at the bus stop. And he gives her a $10 gift card or something to Starbucks and says, thanks for being my hero. Oh. In that instance, it showed again, it's not like it wasn't about the $10 gift card or anything. But again, that was a heroic moment. You don't have to be in the cockpit of an Apache to be a hero. You don't have to be boots on the ground in Afghanistan or Iraq to be a hero. The smallest things you do can have those ripple effects that we just talked about. And when you're doing that, you're not just a hero for that one person. It's, it's contagious. If, we, if we've seen how quickly a virus can spread, you can see how quickly those heroic moments can spread. And you're not going to see it. I'm sorry. You're not going to see all of the impacts you're going to have. But they're going to happen just because you don't see it doesn't mean that you're not having the impact. And you you can still walk away proud that you are a hero to someone in some way. And that's the message that I have. That's so beautiful, Jared. And I I think of the word legacy when you say that. That's what it makes me think of is, you know, we, we all want to leave a legacy. And that is a legacy that kindness it ripples out from us every time we are kind to someone so what a beautiful message i got goosebumps everywhere <laughs> so thank you for sharing that it's uh, what a what an awesome message and it kind of leads me into the next question that i had for you which is about rituals i spent the morning today well i spent last weekend 4 days with tony robbins at his unleash the power within which is an amazing experience if anybody ever has the opportunity to do that. Um, it is, it was, I, I went through some of the highest highs and definitely the lowest lows as I was ripping out some bad programming that I've had in my life and, and putting in new programming. Um, but one of the things that, that we talked about was that strong rituals produce strong results. And I know that for myself, as I've struggled through the pandemic, um, if I don't have a strong ritual routine, strong routines, boy, it's easy for things to expand into the available space. And then the things that are really important to me don't get the time that they deserve. And so this morning I worked, I started with the Tony Robbins daily priming exercise, which is breathing and then being grateful and then visualizing the uh, things that you're going to do today and and visualizing them being successful. And so I have uh, 
uh, this interview with you. I have a two-hour walk with my son who I haven't seen in six weeks coming up this afternoon. Nice. And then I have a board meeting with my roller derby um, league, um, and I'm the president of that. And and so we need to make some changes as the pandemic starts to ease up a little bit. So I went through that, and boy, did it really set the tone for my day. So um so can you talk a little bit about your thoughts about strong rituals uh, yielding strong results? Of course. Uh, Allie, I can just imagine you on that uh, roller derby rink all of a sudden throwing elbows and stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't. That's, that's, that's a completely different picture for us right now. But yes, when it comes to one of my philosophies with leadership, I think about a lot of your time as a leader is being met with challenges, fires, as I call them. There's always something burning down that wants to get your attention. Yeah. And it's real easy to feel like the whole house is on fire. And one of the things I try to always do is not serve the fires. I didn't want it to be where those, whether it was an issue or a person that was giving me this large issue, but they were maybe a small amount of my company. Mm -hmm. I'd be focusing all of that attention on this small amount. And obviously I have to put out the fire, but I don't have to serve the fire. I believe very much in servant leadership that leaders are here, not for themselves, but you are blessed with your time and you should do it to elevate your company on a whole. If I'm just putting out fires, I'm not elevating the company. I'm keeping it from being burned down. So what I made sure to do, my ritual, was whenever I was met with those fires, which is every day, let's be mm -hmm. honest, you're going to have something, um, was for every fire I had, I had to find three positive things to go out and do. I, whether it was recognizing someone make, by making a phone call to a husband or wife and being like, thank you for letting your soldier stay longer. They're really helping me with this inventory or this mission or something. Writing a note back to a mom while we were in Afghanistan saying, thank you for the support that I know you're giving this soldier while they're away. Um, mm -hmm. They talked about you with this or like whatever it is to bring that balance back because the majority are good. So I need to serve my people, not the fires. Yeah. That three, one rule was a big ritual I had to, make sure that I kept that balance. I love that. That's, it, that makes total sense. Um, reminds me of po positive coaching Alliance is a group that I've worked with and feed, you know, how to get athletes to do things. And, um, but I really love your ritual there. That makes, that makes really great sense. Um, all right. Well, I want to move us into what might be a little more difficult of a conversation or, um, this idea of uh, regrets and forgiveness. And um, that, for me, I know is hard. You know, what are the things that I regret? And over the last few years, I've come to think of if I'm feeling regret, it's actually not a red flag, but a green flag because I have grown. If I, if I, have, if I can feel enough to, to regret an action I had in the past, um, that means that I grew, I've grown since then. Um, and about forgiveness and trying to find a way to forgive myself. So 
I just wondered if you would be willing to talk about regrets and forgiveness a bit. Of course. It's a tough topic, I know. It is. <clears throat> and it, it brings up so many different things that I've I've had to deal with in, in my past. I I've been largely able to go through my life without feeling regrets for things, where I've always believed that I get the question, are leaders made or are leaders born? Mm-hmm. And I believe leaders are forged. That the sum of all of the things that you've gone through, those experiences are going to better you. Even the negative, those fires that you're walking through. Mm-hmm. You can go through that fire and you can melt. Or you can go through and be like that steel being forged that's being molded and then hardened so that now you're a more resilient person on the other end. And that's my philosophy of forging forward. And as I think about what that means with forgiveness, Mm -hmm. I like the analogy that people say that forgiveness or not forgiving is like taking poison and hoping the other person is going to die from it. Um, You're, you're, you're not, that person doesn't even know you're not forgiving them in some cases that you're holding this grudge or something. So you're harboring all of these emotions and it's doing what to them. They're, they're, they're not even aware of it. Right. And it's why, why do that to yourself? Why, why keep that bottled in, in that way? I've, I've even been asked, do I, and sometimes I would, I would be flip about it when it came to, oh, are, are you going to forgive that person in combat that did this to you? And I, my, my stark mentality at the moment was always forgiveness is between them and God. I'm just here to create the meeting. And that was a movie quote from Man on Fire from a while back that, that stuck in my head. And, but when it came to the real actual forgiveness of you lost your job. And you're, you had that accident that did all of these things. Turn your life completely upside down. Do you forgive the person that did that to you? Now that's a little harder of a conversation, right? Yeah. I didn't have the grudge to begin with. It was, if they need me to say that I forgive them, you got it. You're forgiven. Mm-hmm. There's nothing for me to forgive, though. Hmm. It's, to me, it was, especially because it wasn't malicious intent or anything, and, and intent matters with these sure. things. So I'm, I'm fortunate that the guy wasn't aiming for me and trying to run me over. But it's still something that destroyed my life at that moment. my I've really believed my life was destroyed. Again, I've been able to turn that around, thankfully, and change that perspective in here. Yeah. But... I don't, the way I I see it is that when I think about that quote of even forgiveness is between them and God, again, it's not my place to judge. That's the truth Uh of that matter. Um, And I don't have to make him meet his maker at that point, but I, I do have to realize it's not on me. So why, why hold on to that? And I, I easily just move on from there. That's that's a really great philosophy, and I think that will help people as they think about that. Because I think a lot of people, a lot of people, hang on to um, their their hard feelings, and and it's a struggle to let them go. Yes. And, and but the idea, and you mentioned it too, that it's really 
just in your own head. You know, I've had people say horrible things about me. And if I hang on to them and let them live in my head, they've totally forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's not affecting them at all. But <clears throat> if I hang on to it, it's going to just eat me up. And so Definitely. try to let it go. And the forgiveness is is what I need to set me free from that. So, And it, we all think about, I think we think about, uh, forgiving the other person, but really the forgiveness is what sets me free. And yeah. that's why it's important. But, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, it kind of leads into a question I had about, uh, which is related to your personal philosophy, but also your experience in the, in the military. And that is the, relationship between personal sovereignty and duty to others or duty to your country. And so, you know, I'm, I'm obligated to take care of myself versus I'm obligated to others. And, and so I just was curious if you'd be willing to talk about that. Cause I think that, um, you know, it's easy to fully commit. I'm, I am, I'm committed to my country. I'm committed to my um, company. I'm committed to my job. But what, a, what about the personal sovereignty? Yes. Great question, Allie. I worked hard on getting these questions for you. <laughs> oh. Well, let me, let me tell you this. My job in the military as an Army officer was to fight and win the nation's wars. And to do that by leading America's sons and daughters. That was my mission. And every soldier writes a check out to be cashed up to and including their life to the United States government for whatever that mission needs to be. Mm -hmm. So I, I, without a doubt, am willing to lay down my life for my soldiers or whoever I'm leading. But it's not a suicide mission. It's not that, oh, I need to do this now and I'm just going to. Here you go. Here's that, here's that life check that you needed. There needs to be a balance. You don't always get to do the mental math on this, but what you need to think about with different things is the situation that you're putting yourself in and whatever you're committing to, that's going to take away whatever time and resources you have. Is that the best use of your time and resources? the best use of your life. Mm-hmm. And like, am I going to sacrifice myself on a mission to get someone a candy bar? <laughs> Come on. What, what, what kind of question is that? Right. What, what am I yeah. doing? But am I going to sacrifice myself to let this person get home to their wife and kids and stuff? Then that's a different conversation. Right. But it even comes in when you're thinking about someone needs help with something. They need help moving. Should I just say yes to everything that comes my way? Maybe. But you also have to think about, well, if I don't take care of myself and get the things I need done, is that going to stop me from helping more people later on in a bigger way? Yeah. And and that's the balancing act of it. So it's not, oh, yeah, help your friend when they need to move on the weekend. But do you need to help them move all week when you have this project that work that needs to get done because now you're going to get fired now all of a sudden you're going to be the burden to someone else like that that's the balance that has to be done so 
That's when you do have to look at your personal fires and make sure the house doesn't burn down around you. Mm -hmm. And then as you take care of your own fires, you can see, oh, I can still help all these people. Because if your house burns down, you can't keep helping others. So that's that's the balance that I try to keep there. Yeah, it is definitely an equilibrium kind of a process. And I know that it's um, something that I've, as a people pleaser, I grew up, you know, trying to get love by pleasing my mom and, you know, and, and, and that carries on and it's something to, um, to focus on and reflect on. And so, so I appreciate your, your thoughts there. Do you have any, um, uh, do you have any affirmations, any, what are some of your personal affirmations, incantations, things that you went like, if if, uh, if something were to go really wrong right now, how do you get yourself out of that? I think people, you know, that we all have things that go wrong. Uh, my friend Mike um, says that each day there's going to be 18 problems that come into your life and two of them will be major. And so if you can tell yourself that in the beginning, you'll when they show up, it's like, oh, hello, <laughs> nice to see you. And I'm not really ready to deal with you right now, so just have a seat, and I'll I'll resolve this soon. But um, what are some of the things that you do, and maybe say to yourself that others could pick up on if it vibed with them? Another good question, Allie. <laughs> so I think obviously forge forward, but I've already touched on that, so I'm not going to go into it. Well, can you just let me? If it's sorry if I interrupt, um, forge forward. Let's talk about the specific language because I really do believe that words make a huge impact. So you talked a little about about forging, but why do you choose forward specifically? That phrase. Talk about that phrase. Because we we have to keep moving forward. Time isn't going to stop. Yep. So it's about not just standing in the fire. It's walking through it, how you're going to come out on that other side. Because the other part of this is it's a season. Okay. All of these are seasonal. These troubles that you're going through, it's just a, one of the seasons in your life, you're going to have the negative, you're going to have the positive. And this is maybe that dark, depressing winter where everything's gray. You're wearing gray clothes. There's snow that's on the ground, and all of a sudden, that's turning gray and into slush on the gray sidewalks. Every everything's depressing. The sky's gray. You can't get away from it. The sun's going to come out. The sun comes out even in the the poles that we have. And sometimes you're going to be at those poles where it's dark for six months. It's dark for a year almost. Mm -hmm. But then you'll still get those moments of light. And so that's the seasonality of it. And that's why you're always yeah. forged forward. The idea of um, forging forward reminds me of um, of having that there's no plan B. And that I don't want to, it reminds me of Denzel Washington's speech talking about, um, I don't want to fall backward. I'm gonna, if I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall forward. Mm -hmm. um, because that's where life is happening next. Backwards, I don't need a fallback plan because I don't want to fall back, um, if that makes sense. Um, oh, absolutely. I'll ask this now, but it's maybe it's more for the end. But how do people get in touch with you? Um, 
what are your, um, how do you use social media? Where do, like, let's say that someone's listening to this and they want to um, have you come and speak with their group. Yeah. So uh, easiest way is probably to go on my website, geraldgangram.com. Okay. And that has all the forums that get in touch with me, email, phone numbers, all on that. So that's probably the number one way. And I have links to my social media on there. I'm right okay. now on LinkedIn. I'm still getting my Facebook page uh, for the speaking part of this up and running, but website, yeah. one stop shop, geraldgangram.com. Perfect. That's awesome to hear. And um, I'll, um, I will definitely include that in all the materials. I wanted to ask, um, I, one of the things that I do is every day I go for a walk and I call it the hour of power. And I, all I do is I shut off everything else and I listen to different motivational um, and inspire, inspirational kind of speakers. And, you know, Oprah is a big part of that. And um, there's a number of them. But one of the things that came up just yesterday and and I've been thinking about it because I'm making a move in my career, too, and is focus on the what's the next right move. And we can't see all the way forward. But what is the next right move for you in in your career? Um, and so maybe if you can talk about what do you think the next right move is for you right now, but also uh, maybe start with talking about a place where you you thought you had the right next move and it was the right next move. A place where I thought I had the next right move and it was correct. Yeah. So I was right. Yeah. I like to say I'm right more often than wrong, Allie. Yes, um, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that because in a very short lifetime so far, you've come an incredible distance. And 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 I attribute that to your habits and to your soul and your spirit and the strength of your um of your heart. And um but yeah. I, I do I as cocky as it sounds, I, I do mean that. I think that Every every decision I made at that time was the best decision I could have made. And mm-hmm. I think back to even the ones where I look back and I, I try and armchair quarterback. I'm like, was that really the smartest move? It worked out, right? And, and this, this actually reminds me of what I was thinking about before. Um, if it hasn't, if you're going through these hard times and it hasn't worked out yet, mm-hmm. it'll all work out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. Yeah. So when I think about that, I think about how in some moments, oh, this is very bad. Why did I get in this aircraft today? Because I'm like my engine's having issues all of a sudden and I don't want to land this thing in the middle of Afghanistan. Right. Or I decided I made the decision to get shot at, to draw fire in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. That felt like a dumb decision when I was like 10 seconds into it, (laughs) but this was an environment where we had 120 insurgents was the call coming down on 20 guys. They were completely outmatched. And at one point when I was trying to break them out through this foliage, I got told, Hey, watch out gunmetal. They're shooting at you. And immediately I responded back. Hey, if they're shooting at me or they're shooting at you. And that's when even the person I was flying with, Mr. Kevin White was like, sir, I know what you're thinking. And I agree. We both had the same dumb idea at the same time. We were like, Hey, (laughs) they're looking at getting me. We're the prize right now. They want to 
slay me as a dragon more than they want to take out these guys on the ground. Yeah. So I'm the perfect distraction. Hey, yeah. the ground, how much time do you need? 60 seconds. Okay, cool. You got 60 seconds. We put ourselves over. Hey, they're shooting at us. Yeah, they're shooting at you. Okay, well, that means you have 60 seconds. 59, go. <laughs> like, and again, we're we're not doing this to be like this bravado and like, oh, no. I'm a hero and stuff. It's that's what we needed to do at that time. And it was enough time for them to regroup. They had been separated. All this bad stuff was happening. It was every time they keyed the mic, I could hear bullets like going off and gunfire in the background. And it was, it was enough time that, and it worked. We didn't yep. get, we didn't get shot down, thankfully. And uh, then we said, Hey, they need another 60 seconds later. And we knew how to get it to them. So we did it again. Yep. But, but those were the right calls at the right time. And you need to see that, especially when you come out of it on the other, on the, on the other side, it was the right call. Even if you look back and you think, oh, I should have done this instead. This is part of that whole no regret. Yeah, you can look at, I could have done this better in the future. Uh But it's not in that moment, you make the best decision you can with the information you have. And that lets you keep going forward. So you're not being indecisive in those moments. And you're trying to try and make, oh, I need to make the perfect decision. No, sometimes you just need to make a decision and move. Get to the perfection Uh, later on. Yeah. You are, you are, you are so good at what you do. It's so exciting to listen to you talk. And, um, and I know that you're going to have this incredible career in leadership. So I'm just thrilled and honored to have this time with you. And I, and I know that other people, when they get the chance to listen to this in a couple of days, will have that same experience. Um, What is your next right move right now? Yes. There are a lot of places I can go, things I can do, because thankfully I've realized I'm not done yet. (laughs) No, you are not. (laughs) And the next right move will be continuing to serve in whatever capacity that can be. That servant leader that I was in the seat of that Apache is the same leader I want to continue to be going forward. I want to take the heat. I want to take the hits. I'll draw fire to let other people do their jobs on the ground. Mm -hmm. And for me, I imagine no higher calling than being a servant leader at the highest levels of government, where my sole responsibility is to safeguard all American interests. In Mm -hmm. public office, I see myself as representing the good nature that American people have and not be another out-of-touch bureaucrat. I hope that I can inspire future administrations where officials don't only Think about their next term. They just Mm. feel blessed and use that gifted time doing the people's business. So that's me is my next step. I want to continue to do this. I want to continue to talk to people, know what people feel and inspire them. But I also want to do more direct work for them. I'd love to get back into government as a leader. Uh And that's, that's the things I hope for on the horizon. That's uh, beautiful. And it seems like a, an, an amazing use um, of all of the things that you've become in your life so far. And, and we all try to find our calling, so to speak. And it seems like you've got a great plan for yours. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't always this put together. No, no, none of us were, um, but that's okay. And that's how we kind of come together from where we are and, 
keep moving. I uh, another um, coach that I've been uh, had a chance to listen to. Her name's Tina Greenbaum, and she gave me this gift, which was um, we only need to see two hundred feet in front of us. The the mile ahead, we really can't see it, no matter what the weather is. You know, and and I imagine that there's some analogy like that for a helicopter pilot too. Is um, you know, if I if I focus on a mile or ten miles away um, in the immediate moment, I I'm only I'm I'm not paying attention to the present and what's right here in front of us right Balancing now. Balancing act. You don't want to be behind the aircraft, definitely. You don't want to be just uh, you want to you want to definitely know what's in front so you don't hit a mountain. I've I've hit a mountain before. It's not fun. Okay. Uh, I, I survived it, but yeah, it, it comes down to again, like you're saying, you need to, yeah, you you have to have maybe some vision of what's there, but realize that might change. The weather even over there might change. The like someone might all of a sudden, if you're looking really far out, they're building stuff, and that's going to change. A, another aircraft might be there, a bird might be there later on if you're just you're yeah. looking at flying. So you can't just be like, oh, I looked over there and it's clear, I'm good. No, you have to keep. Going inside, outside, inside, outside. Mm-hmm. It's a cross check. That sounds like life and reflecting on how what we do every day comes back to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you have any um, final thoughts for the people that might be listening? And, it, you know, that could be uh, a kid in high school. That could be um, a veteran who is having a tough time. It could be someone who's, um, Who's it could be a house uh, a house dad who's taking care of the little baby? Uh, it could be Colin Powell. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I will say that to the masses. Remember that your problems. It's not that you can just leave your problems at home. You, we aren't just. Oh, when I come home, I leave work at home. When I go to work, I leave. The home stuff. No, it's it's always going to fall, especially now. I mean, like work and home are the same in terms of physical borders, but that emotions don't stand by physical borders. So when you're thinking about how people are doing at work, think about how they're doing at home. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about how your kid's doing at school, think about how they're doing at home. Because all of those things have an impact. And you can't look at someone when you're evaluating their performance on just how they are in one title that they're wearing how the sun is versus how the student is are all interrelated Mm. and it's important for whatever leaders are in their lives whether it's those parents those teachers those bosses immediate supervisors friends even Mm -hmm. to realize that it's it's something that takes a holistic approach. And when, and sometimes you need to tell someone, Hey, you need to take a break from this. Even if it's a manager saying, take a break from work because you need to get whatever done with taking mom to the hospital so that you can be present here again. Cause it's all about that presence that you talked about in the beginning is that ski, yeah. that ski thing. Like you, you can't show up if you're thinking about stuff back home. It was the same thing for soldiers. If one of my soldiers was thinking about finances back home, and like, oh, he didn't get paid this month because of a, an error. Mm-hmm. Am I going to send him on a mission when he's thinking about how his wife and kids are going to make like make rent and stuff while like that's not you don't want to think about that while boats are flying. But guess what? You might. So it's it's knowing when to take people 
out of the fight, keep them in it. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's what I would let people know. Like, keep that balance. Look at the whole person. Oh, that's a fantastic way to close this up, Gerald. Uh, this has been an incredible time. I am so grateful to you for bringing so much energy and so much clarity and so much positivity to this discussion. It's been a true pleasure. You you are, when I think of people who I re, uh, respect and and want to um, want to share their message, you know, it's people who are who have humility and who are great, have grace and and power. And you have a unique combination of all of those things. So thank you so much for giving so much of yourself today. And uh, I look forward to being a friend of yours forever. Um, and you have my support um, totally. If, uh, if I hope that someday I get to vote for you in some form. And if you're just behind the scenes, I hope I get to support you and I, you have my full support. So thank you, Allie. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. You're like, I feel like you disarmed everything from me. And I was just opening up to you. This was (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how the true, how vulnerability creates connections and how our current world is really, um, makes us, it numbs us down and it separates us. And e- here we are, even through this medium here, we've made a connection. We're, he- we, we, um, we evolved as humans in communities and in tribes and in small groups. And, and we need that connection. We can't thrive without it is, is my belief. So. On board well, 100%. Yeah. And isn't it interesting how we find ways to adapt even through a pandemic that none of us, well, some of us saw coming and we imagined, but but nobody imagined what it would be like living through it for a year. Um, so, so thank you. Uh, my heart goes out to you. I'm so excited to see what the future brings for you and uh, we'll wrap it up. All Thanks right. again. Allie. All right. Take care and have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Mindset Mama Bears. If you enjoyed the show and would like to get notices of further shows, please subscribe using whatever service you use to listen to this podcast, and we'll keep you in the loop. You also can send an email to me at mindsetmamabears at alleycleveland.com. I'm grateful for your time. I hope you learned some things today that will help you in your life. And if you have a guest that you think I might enjoy interviewing, please feel free to share that with me in an email. uh, MindsetMamaBears at AllieCleveland.com. I'm signing off for now, and I look forward to the next time we have a chance to chat.